You've seen those movies where they say, make my day, or I'm your worst nightmare. Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm gonna say that, did you? Your move, creep. Welcome to another episode of the Film Feast podcast. Uh, I am your host, Matt Bledsoe. And this week, I'm very excited because we are talking about Michael Mann's Miami Vice from 2006. Uh, to help me talk about it, I'm joined by a first-time guest and someone I'm very excited to talk to. Uh, he's a writer, has written articles for sites such as The Playlist, Movie Sleuth, and Film Combat Syndicate. And he is the biggest Miami Vice fan I know. And I hear he's a fiend for mojitos. It's Brandon Streisnake. Brandon, how you doing? <laughs> Good. How are you, Matt? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Uh, very <laughs> excited you're here uh, because I told you before we started recording um, that I want to talk about my Vice. Yeah, this movie for a long time, Miami Vice. And yeah, I know on Twitter, I think people know you as the Miami Vice guy. So <laughs> um, you wrote a wonderful article about it for a playlist. I was like, I've got to ask Brandon this episode. So I'm very glad that you accepted and you're here. <laughs> I, I appreciate you asking me. I guess there's a, a lot worse things to be known for on Twitter. That, that's, a tr- that's a good brand, I feel like. It's to be yeah, like, that's yeah. way worse things to have than Miami Vice. Um, and yeah. I, luckily, I mean, we'll talk about it when we get into it, but it's being reappraised finally for its 15th anniversary, I feel like. So that's refreshing after all this time. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, I didn't even realize it was the 15th, uh, weirdly enough, until. The, the playlist actually reached out to me and asked if there was anything I wanted to write about. And I like was looking because they asked about retrospectives and everything. And I just Googled, you know, what movies have anniversaries this year. And I saw that that was 15th this year. And I was like, well, that's, I have to write about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think anybody that follows, you know, that, that you have to write about that. Um, yeah. I know much of this movie. So um, we, we will definitely get into all my advice stuff. Uh, but uh, first things first, I do want to ask uh, just about anything good or interesting or maybe just bad you've seen lately. Anything you want to bring up that you've seen lately? Um, well, I felt I, I was feeling kind of in a rut lately because I was kept going to the theater once a week you know, as safely as I can. Uh, and um, I was seeing a lot of things that I've been looking forward to. Like I saw Green Knight, I saw Suicide Squad, um, and I saw Annette, the, the new musical, and none of them really did anything for me. And it was really bumming me out because I was like I I just didn't know if it was a me thing or a movie thing or you know sometimes you get in that headspace but then on for Fantasia Fest I just watched um this new movie from uh Mickey Reese he's an indie guy he does a lot of like weird horror stuff and his new movie Agnes and it's a um kind of a possession movie and I was kind of at first I was like oh I've seen this a million times but it but it kind of takes a turn halfway through and kind of goes more into like the trauma that people experience after an exorcism takes place which i found really interesting and it was like the first thing i've seen in a while that like really hit me in a way that a lot of things hadn't been so yeah i don't know when that's coming out um but 
keep an eye out for Agnes, I guess. I just because it's at Fantasia right now. So anyone listening is attending Fantasia, I really, really recommend that one. Yeah, I saw you post about that actually, and I was intrigued immediately and added it to my IMDb watch list. And I don't yeah. think there was a date on there yet. I think maybe later this year was something I saw. I, I'm assuming his, his movies don't get huge distribution. I think Dark Star Pictures had his last one and then kind of just went to VOD. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's for everybody. It's he kind of his movies kind of move at their own speed, and so like I think a lot of people are going to be turned off in the direction it takes because you're watching like this like exorcism movie for the first half and like it's kind of like things you've seen a little bit before and then like yeah so i'm not sure if people are going to like really uh vibe with how it goes but i i, I find it really interesting so hopefully it finds an audience somewhere okay yeah i'm, I'm on the lookout for it now so i'm glad you uh you brought it up and uh people should probably put on the radar if, they're in, if it sounds like that kind of thing i would say yeah definitely <laughs> okay cool what, what anything else um, that was the best thing I've seen recently. But yeah, I, I tweeted a little bit about Suicide Squad and just how excited I was because, um, like, uh, Dunn's Marvel movies have been some of the ones that hit with me the hardest. I've kind of been feeling in a weird place with Marvel lately. Like, I was all in on it. I was, like, a huge comic fan, and then it started to kind of burn me out a little bit. But his Guardians movie, especially the second one, really, like, meant a lot to me and I, I was really looking forward to his take on Suicide Squad and I saw it and I was kind of like really kind of felt nothing and it was it was a weird feeling because it was like I should be liking everything about this and nothing's registering with me and it was it kind of bummed me out a little bit but I, I know it's kind of popular with a lot of people so I don't want to I don't want to you know drag on it too much but it just really kind of bummed me out Oh, no, you're fine. That's I, I hate that feeling with a movie where you're like watching it. You're like, I should like this, but I'm feeling nothing. It happens like a lot in the past like year and a half. I feel like I've been watching more and more movies. I've been home more. And like sometimes yeah. I watch stuff and it's just like it does nothing for me. It's not even like a bad movie, but I'm just like almost kind of minutes till it's over. I'm like, this is not working. <laughs> I almost feel yeah. bad. Yeah, it's like a numbness to it. And it's funny because as you mentioned, Suicide Squad, uh, this episode will come out after our episode on on. We did an episode on the Suicide Squad that we just recorded. <laughs> um, and so it's kind of confusing with like the time. But like I had uh, uh, Mark, my friend Mark and uh, my friend Ken on and we all did like it. I know me and Mark had some more like kind of like uh, nitpick type stuff, like smaller kind of issues with it. But uh, I watched it at home. I had fun with it. But I, I could see how I, I read people who said it didn't work for them. And I mean, that's totally fine. I just uh, I had fun with it. It's it felt, you know, like something kind of different from I was in kind of a rut too and I was like well this is fun like I didn't think it was like a masterpiece but um yeah. I did really like it but I could see how it might not work for you you know at a certain point so yeah it was, it was kind of a weird feeling because it was like it, it like almost made me question like do I like his Guardian movies as much as I thought I did or what's going on here and, and I'm, I'm definitely at a weird place with superhero movies like I, I grew up like comics were how I learned to read and everything and so like for like the first 10 years of Marvel and everything, I was just like all about it. And then I just started to like hit a wall where I was just like, these are all feeling the same to me. This is like frustrating. I don't go back to too many of these too much. And so like, I, I, I was like getting more into like what DC was doing with, with even if they weren't fully successful, it felt like there were different visions being put across and everything. And so like, I went into this one feeling, I thought it was going to be like a James Gunn movie and everything. And it absolutely was, but it was just like, I don't know, it was, it was like a weird feeling. Like, do I like James Gunn? <laughs> like, what is going on with me? <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I did want to try it again, though. I want to, I want to see if maybe I was just in a weird headspace that day because it's, it's not a bad movie. It's just, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I understand. Um, it, yeah, that's the thing. The, the I love comic books too, and I have since I was a kid. Um, so I have to remind myself sometimes, like, if I get a little burned out, I'm like, this is still crazy that we're getting like these huge budget superhero movies of characters I never Absolutely. thought I would see yeah. <laughs> in a movie. Like, um, like you know, it, when I was a kid, it was not that popular. I mean, it, I was the '90s, so it was like X Men was big, Spider Man was big because they had cartoon shows that were big, but. The, the movies weren't really there yet. And, you know, it wasn't the super mainstream thing that it is now. So when I see a movie with like friggin' Starro the Conqueror in it, I'm like, well, I never thought right. this would happen. <laughs> like, that, that That is like, so I, I do, you're right. That's a good thing to remind yourself <laughs> of because it's weird to think about like, um, like, uh, I forget who I heard say this. It, it, I was watching something recently and it was a filmmaker who said like, my grandmother knows who Starro is right now. Or not Starro, uh, Thanos. <laughs> And it's like, yeah, that is a weird thing to think about. Like, everyone knows Thanos now. And it's like, no, and so that's kind of cool that, like, people are getting to experience all these characters that I grew up loving. It's nice that they're all, you know, that they're finding audiences in a new way. And so I, I if you, if anyone listening follows me on Twitter, you've probably seen me go down, like, paths of, like, being like, oh, I'm tired of this and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but, like, it, 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 I do try to, like, remind myself, like, there's whole generations discovering these characters, like, the characters like Bloodsport, like that's a character that I barely knew, and it's like nuts that he's on film right now. Like I, I vaguely remember him from you know <laughs> reading various things, and it's just it's so crazy how like you know what was it five six years ago, maybe even longer, like everyone was like just amazed that the Guardians of the Galaxy were going to be on screen, and now it's like we're putting like B-list characters on screen, and it's it's just like it's a crazy world. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah very true i kept thinking that during suicide squad the the new one where it's like i thought i knew a lot of comic book characters i had to look up like at least half these people i never even heard of them like savant yeah. and uh polka dot man and you know these who like this is crazy it's just crazy to me they get how much money to do this weird shit and it, it does feel like they let him <laughs> run wild like i felt like nobody there was no notes given it felt like it was just like yeah. do whatever you want um which i can appreciate yeah. um so yeah, maybe maybe I, just go back and watch it again and see if your mood. Ch- I didn't have to be a lot where I go back and watch something and I'm like, oh, I was just a bad mood the first time, you know. So yeah, definitely, yeah, that, that happens to me a lot of the time. I turn around on things. I've turned around on uh, so many things recently. So and, <laughs> and like you said, this year is kind of a weird space for movies where it's like you go into something and you might have a million other things on your mind than you normally would, and yeah, it's just in your we're watching so much stuff that it's like what do you even remember like I, there's movies I, <laughs> I i look at i keep a log of everything on letterboxd of what i see each year and there's some things just from a couple months ago that i'm scrolling through and i'm like it, like what the can i you, am oh I you could swear on this podcast yeah yeah like, like i was looking just yesterday i was looking at my letterboxd list and i got down the list and i was like what the fuck is this i, was like, I don't remember watching this and i looked at it and i logged it maybe a month or two ago and i'm like man that's that's rough yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on that. That's a big phenomenon where I'm like, I go back and I'm like, wait, I watched that? I have no <laughs> memory of it, like, at all. Um, I think we're all just in a memory hole right now. <laughs> I know there's, like, brain fog going on, so maybe that's, I'm yeah. looking back to my letterbox. I'm like, what have I forgotten about recently? Um, I can't, like, I see it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that, but I, it's weird. It's just, it's just a lot. But, uh, <laughs> but um, anything else you want to bring up? or? <laughs> uh, I think that's, probably it uh those are the only two things that that i've seen super recently that were at the top of my mind okay um well i will bring up just uh, a couple things newer documentaries actually i i, I watched uh and i talked with one <laughs> about one of them because you actually wrote a piece oh, on yeah. it yeah the uh 
I don't know the full title. The Woodstock 99 HBO Max documentary. Oh, yeah, it had like six titles. <laughs> HBO Max, Music Box, Woodstock like, like <laughs> Love, Rage, something. Yeah. Peace, Love, and Rage is what it was called. Woodstock yeah, 99. And yeah. so, <laughs> the title's as unfocused as the movie. <laughs> yes, okay. So, oh boy. So this documentary... I'll just say right now, I felt like absolute shit when this thing was over. I was bummed, like out of my <laughs> mind, like for the rest of the day. It was. It didn't help. It was raining that whole day, but I was like, you know, like a hole. I was like, this sucks. I was like, <laughs> and I didn't. I think I liked it a little more than you did because I did go back and I read your piece on it um, that you wrote. Um, I forgot what site that was for. I'm sorry. That was that was also for the playlist. Playlist. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I saw your letterbox rating was like one and a half stars. I gave it three stars because I was like engrossed the whole time. Like I was, like I was riveted, but I kind of hated like that. <laughs> I, I more hated that it happened than anything. And it's so weird yeah, because definitely. What's a ninety nine was like a big deal for me as a 12 year old boy at that time, because it's like everybody that I loved at one festival, it's Limp Bizkit, oh, it's Corn, it's DMX, it's Kid Rock. It's like all these people I'm, I think are the coolest people on the planet at 12. And definitely. I remember MTV covering it because it was also on pay-per-view and how that thing just disintegrated over the weekend. And I remember like being so shocked. This was like my Vietnam. Was this what's up? Yeah. It was like yeah. the fires on Sunday. They burned the place to the ground. I mean, it's insanity. And it's like the documentary pulls back things. I did like I know how bad it even was. Like I heard how bad it was in '99, and but I was still like, you know, I just kind of thought. I think I thought more like, oh, this is so crazy. Like I didn't know like how bad it was, and um, the stories about like the sexual assaults are like just horrifying and disgusting. Oh, yeah. And it's just super unpleasant for most of it. And it's like seeing like the worst side of people, like all these like frat boy douchebags who like, um, you know, were running around for this place. And it, the whole, I mean, the whole thing makes no sense. Woodstock 99, because it's like, I was like blown away that somebody thought to program Alanis Morissette right before Limp Biscuit. Like, oh, what? I know. Like, do you understand the audience you're going after? <laughs> what are we doing here? Like, such a bizarre like the whole thing was like as they keep saying like it was very shallow and it was money driven and it wasn't thought out very well and <laughs> it turns into a disaster because it was ungodly hot and there was you know really expensive you couldn't get water for less than like five bucks a bottle um apparently i read somebody who said they were there it was like by sunday it was like twenty dollars a bottle so you know it was like really out of hand and uh <laughs> it just i don't know it like it was a weird nostalgia thing because i distinctly remember watching this go down and then kind of it isn't you said it's unfocused it's very unfocused like it's all over the place like it doesn't yeah. know what it necessarily wants to hone in on um i don't think it even knows who it wants to like blame because it kind of keeps on yeah. blame the bands and the promoters you know it's, yeah. yeah it feels it's very strange because there's like a whole section on how limp biscuit did all of this and it's like i have such a soft spot for them and i think like with Lollapalooza recently and everything i've kind of like been listening to them a lot lately and like i i, I mean i don't know if this is a hill i'm gonna die on but i don't think that they're you know like they're always listed as you know like all one of the worst bands you know and i I think Fred Durst is an acquired taste as a singer, but I think <laughs> musically they're 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 pretty good, and and so like I I was kind of frustrated with that aspect because I kept thinking like 
it, it feels very easy to blame them and then you're not going to have any of them on the show and you're going to let Toby, like kind of a noted creep himself, go on and on about how misogynistic they are. <laughs> it's like, this is very strange. And, and it kept giving the promoter a chance to like, to absolve himself, which he didn't do a great job of at all. No. <laughs> it was like, it, yeah, it, it felt very, very pointed at Limbiscuit. Like I said, I don't want to die on the hill of defending Limbiscuit. Who knows, like, you know, they... Like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying like they're like the pinnacle of like music or like you know they, but it just was very strange. It seemed like they had like a very weird vendetta against them. But I think the thing that was bumming me out the most was like they kept talking about the sexual assault and you know everything that was happening and the objectification of women. But then every other shot in the movie started to feel like a, a topless woman, and then you're wondering like, did you have the consent of this person? Like the ages were very nebulous. It's like how old are some of these girls and it started to feel like almost like titillating itself and it was very strange it was like i don't understand what point you're trying to make here because you're telling me all these terrible things happen but then you're also putting way too much of a focus on these naked women and it's like i were you i felt felt like there was a better way to make that point without being exploited as itself yeah that's a really good point that was weird i kind of thought like you're talking about these sexual assaults and what happened to all these women there. And like, wouldn't you just maybe blur some of this, but it's like, no, it's like all the boob footage they could find. They put in the documentary. It's very strange. Yeah. A lot of it's like was bordering on like almost graphic images of women being groped and everything. And it's like, Jesus, like I, I understand like you, sometimes you need to see things to understand how bad they were. But at a certain point it was like, this movie seemed to be really into showing this. It's very strange. Yeah, that was weird. They were really into that. They were really into dumping on Limp Biscuit. They spent like a very long time on that Limp Biscuit set, which I mean was blamed a lot because I mean they sang they sang a song called Break Stuff and like right, you right. know the crowd was kind of at like a fever pitch almost at that point. Oh, that's funny because that was the second day. Things hadn't even really got like completely blown up yet to Sunday. Yeah. So um, you know, they they got blamed. And that promoter, I can't remember the the there's two promoters, but the like bald guy, I can't remember his name. Um what a piece of shit. Yeah, he was horrible. Like, <laughs> he, just accepting no responsibility. <laughs> no responsibility. And it's funny because they go back to 99 and they show footage. He's not res- accepting responsibility then either. Like, yeah, he's, he's still like, doing it. <laughs> steadfast and being an asshole, I guess. Right. He's and I'm like, like, do you realize the camera's on? Because he's saying, like, the worst thing he says, I think, is that, like, well, maybe these women shouldn't have run around naked. Like, they expect it's like saying, like, victim blaming them for getting assaulted, which is insane to say and like there's a camera on you buddy do you even like care you know it's yeah crazy. <laughs> it yeah it, <sighs> it, was, it was a very very frustrating documentary <laughs> yeah, extremely frustrating it's like but i couldn't look away like i was riveted yeah, for like the whole like two hours it was it's yeah it's definitely informative it's definitely like a car crash television <laughs> yeah it's i mean which is kind of goes with like what 99 felt like i mean it's like oh, it, yeah uh, the MTV stuff. There was they were trying to cover so much like MTV's influence. I think they really did that very well. Like, um, also I thought it was funny they were trying to say like, I, I do know people throwing stuff at MTV, but like TRL and itself was massively popular. I just maybe that crowd wasn't into it, but like, I know TRL was like a huge deal, and they were like, oh, everyone hated it. I'm like, I don't know if everyone hated it. <laughs> like, you know, um, it was this weird dichotomy though of like this weird push and pull which i mentioned of like boy bands and britney spears but also against like corn and limp biscuit and yeah they were all it, i remember watching trl and like hoping i was like f you backstreet boys like limp biscuit's come from number yeah. one spot 
I was the exact same way as a kid. And, and it's weird that you brought that up because I felt like the documentary kept almost reaching a point and then backtracking on it because they brought up the boy bands and Britney Spears and everything. And it was kind of, it is kind of true that like that was like the popular music at the time. And that's never really talked about is like in a weird way, that's the stuff that lasted, especially Britney Spears. You know, she's like yeah. so relevant. And it's just, it's weird that the documentary brings stuff like that up and then kind of backs off of it immediately. Yeah. It's like, it has too many ideas on its mind and it can't, it can't get them all in, you know, and it's like, I can't yeah. finish a point. Um, it's, it's something, I don't know. I, I don't, I was thinking like, would this have any meaning to anybody who's like 15 years old now? Like would they even, you know what I mean? Cause it's like, oh, I, I doubt it. I, that's what I thought. I was like, I, I was so into it. I think cause I remembered it happening and like was so into these yeah. bands um but i was like would anybody like 20 years or you know whatever younger would they even give a shit i don't think they would but i don't know i, I think the one for me the one that i want to see although i don't think it was as much of a train wreck but i, I want to see it behind the uh, scenes on the family values tour that when biscuit and corn used to do <laughs> i begged my mom to take me to that tour uh, yeah begged and she was too. like I no chance in hell and i probably good thing yeah. didn't go to that because that would have been really awkward <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> same thing. Like my my mom let me have the CD for it, but that was it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I think my mom confiscated my corn CD. I can't remember which corn CD it was. It had like the rag doll on the cover. Uh, oh yeah, I think that was issues. <laughs> issues. Yeah, yeah. She was like, no way. Parental advisory sticker. But I somehow snuck by Limp Biscuit CDs. I think my grandma took me to the store and I like bought them, and she didn't know. Um, just me constantly trying to sneak music I wasn't allowed to have past her, but yeah, um, absolutely. And it's they make the point too. I, I have so much to say, like that all these other festivals have gone on, and nothing like this has happened. But I just think it was like the perfect cocktail of bad shit. Hap you know what I mean? It was like too yeah. many people, way too hot, too expensive. Um, maybe even a certain mixture. I, I barely blame the bands because it's like. They kept telling the bands to go calm people down. It's like, do you expect Red Durst to calm? Like, what's he going like, right. to do? And that's not their job. Like, they're, they're yeah. there to do a show. Like, they weren't there to, like, be babysitters. Right. Red Hot Chili Peppers kind of took some heat on that, where they're like, you should have come. They played Jimi Hendrix as fire. It's like... That was, that was kind of funny. That was a little... Uh, <laughs> that was a little... Uh, he def that was... I'm not so sure the word I'm trying to look for, but that was definitely a little uh, provocative. I mean, yeah. Still, I mean, I they take but a little responsibility, burning. but at the end of the day, it's like, it's not their, you know, they're not supposed to calm the crowd. I don't think they even could have calmed the crowd, honestly. I think the crowd was too big and too angry to be, you know, like, hey, Fred Durst, like, hey, guys, calm it down. Like, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> like, it, it's definitely, a, that was definitely a, like a, just a big confluence of whatever culture was feeling at that moment. Like, I, I, I covered that a little bit in the, the review I wrote, and I, I don't know how true this is because I was younger then, and it's just me thinking back, but like I, I hear a lot of people talk about like pre-9-11 and the place we were as a country, and of course, you know, all the problems that we're dealing with now were always there, but I think that they weren't as discussed as much, and I think that there was kind of a feeling like, is this it? Like, we, you know, we won, here we are, you know, no one's mad about anything. And I think there's just like a lot of disaffected people not knowing what to be mad at all going and converging on this place and just flipping out. And, like, and now, you know, there's something to be mad about every day. And it's like hard to know where, you know, you, you have places you can direct that. And I think a lot of people felt they had nowhere to direct their energy, I guess, because like no, nothing was being talked about really. Yeah. That's I, yeah. It's because there wasn't anything to be mad about. I mean, I was a kid, but and I, it's always hard to tell if it's because it was 
the decade or because I was a kid, because of course I had no worries or concerns because I was a child. But it's like the 90s do seem like the last decade we've had that was like fairly peaceful. Like there's problems that are always there. But, you know, yeah, it's like we had all this the economy was going so well. Um, there was no major conflicts going on that, you know, yeah. really uh, it was. So it was like this time where it's like this all that. Yeah, like Limp Bizkit Corn, they kind of seem like engineered aggression i mean i don't want to like say that they were it's I don't, it's so weird it's like i mean, not even talk about it it's just it was strange because like especially me as a 12 year old boy living in the suburbs doing pretty well i had nothing to be mad about but i, I acted all angsty just because i you know was like it's cool i don't know you know i'm gonna listen to lincoln park and Limp biscuit because i'm like i'm gonna pretend to be mad about something so yeah maybe everyone was exactly just... how i was yeah <laughs> like what am i mad about everything's going yeah. great um and then mean, meanwhile like little me is like you know 10 11 years old like i going to this cooking class i took in the summer wearing a red new york yankee hat backwards like it's like just the juxtaposition of that is so funny (laughs) oh i tried to find one of those so bad i looked everywhere for like a summer before whatever grade i was going to start and we literally couldn't find a red yankees cap i could find other colors and i was like i gotta have a red yankees cap i gotta have jinkos i gotta have a red yankees cap yeah we've got it those were the hot those were hot items back then the red cap (laughs) So, yeah. now they're now red caps are a hot item for a different reason, <laughs> oh yeah i didn't think about that um no i couldn't do that now um yeah not to I, make it's not to make that connection though, <laughs> not Caesar, although i have no idea what he believes I don't, yeah i don't know what he's what he's doing now um but uh i did see him a lot of loser that was fun but um yeah that was a lot a, of fun yeah i mean there's a lot i, I don't want to keep going with this documentary but i there was so much going on in it and there was a lot to say but it's not focus like you said it's all over the place and it'll probably make you feel shitty afterwards if you yeah don't. yeah that that was kind of my feeling afterwards too and, and not to go too long on it but i just and also not to sound like a snob because like i feel like that a lot lately but like my, my tastes have been going in all different directions lately and i've been like getting like really into documentary filmmaking and watching different things that i can watch and like i saw a great short this year called still processing i think that's on movie right now and uh, I've been watching a lot of different like foreign documentaries and everything. So I've been seeing how documentaries can be interesting and how they can be made and feel like there's like real choices being made behind the camera, like like narrative movies. And seeing something like that was just like, this is just so cobbled together and it feels like, you know, there wasn't really a voice here. And it just was like, how can we make this as incendiary as possible? And, and that just might be my own baggage going into it. Like if you're just watching it to, you know, watch a car crash and have fun with it it's not as bad as you know my one and a half star review i just <laughs> i think i was approaching it with a much wider lens than maybe i should have i don't know no you're i mean <laughs> as far as like documentary filmmaking goes it is not focused and it's not there it feels like there's no like real strong voice and it just it there's an art to documentary filmmaking that i feel like it's lost a lot and if if the subject is interesting people think their job is done but it's you know there's there's an art to it and to kind of make it interesting and put your own voice on it and that woodstock does not do it um but you set me up for a good segue because i watched um val the val kilmer documentary on amazon prime oh, i'm really looking forward to seeing that one it's really good i i really oh, loved it <laughs> um some people have been kind of like like ant on it i've seen a lot of like mediocre kind of reviews and i was surprised because like maybe it just worked on me in this day i don't know it was like I thought it was really good. It's um, 
people that don't know, like Val Kilmer has had like throat cancer and he can't even speak anymore, really has a voice box. Um, and his son actually kind of narrates this documentary, like speaking his words, I guess. And his son does a really good job as the voice of this yeah. documentary. Um, and Val Kilmer basically has like filmed most of his career. Uh, he's had video cameras like he has his brother was in the making movies as kids. He's had a video camera since he started like in Hollywood. So he's filmed all this stuff. So it's a super personal intimate uh documentary with like a clear point of view i know some people complain it's too much his point of view because he kind of kind of glosses over the period where he was called like a um uh what's the word a problem not problematic a uh hard to work with type actor like he just was kind of like mid 90s like he kind of gets a little like eccentric and (laughs) people say he's hard to work with they kind of gloss over that period which you might think like okay this might be because he's so involved in the documentary but um didn't bother me i mean he addresses a little bit it's like he just he's just kind of an eccentric guy i mean that's how he is and uh yeah they it's it's hard like some of it's just so heartbreaking like his uh i don't know if I, it's i don't think give things away because it's documented for his life but it's like uh his younger brother died very young um which is really tr- sad and tragic and uh his um he's married he was married to um her name, I think Joanne Whitley. She was an actress who was in Willow. I might be not say her name, but it's there's like a really sad section where they uh, he's like got a I guess a voice recording of being on the phone with her and they're fighting about their divorce. Oh, oh, meanwhile, they're showing like home videos when they were happy, and it's like one of those things where you're like, oh, this is really sad. And uh, yeah, that's that's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. And it's like to watch this, you know, watch when they were happy and their marriage is dissolving on the phone call. And it's like, oh, my God. And he like clearly loved her so much. And they had kids together. And it just seems like a thing where he was gone so much. The marriage fell apart. And, you know, there's actually not as much. I, I thought it'd be more about when he got sick, but that's kind of barely touched on near the end. Um which is okay by me. That would be almost too depressing. <laughs> There's like a scene near the end when he's talking about his mom who's passed away that like I ended up crying at. I was like, oh boy, this really got me. So it's a, <laughs> it's a heavy like documentary. I thought it was really good. Um, it's probably one of the best things I've seen this whole year, honestly. I don't know. Oh, nice. So yeah, I can't recommend it enough. It's on Amazon Prime for free. It's a Prime like exclusive or whatever. And uh, yeah, I thought it was really good. I mean, some people complained about it's like, it's a lot of home video footage, but I, that makes to me feel so much more intimate and personal. And yeah. Yeah. And I, that, I like stuff like that. Yeah. Like, and it feels like you have his point of view attached to it too, which is nice. And it's not just like talking heads, like talking about Val Kilmer. You get to see like his perspective. Yeah. There are, there really, I don't think there are any talking heads. I think about it. It's just like the home video footage, him writing things and his son kind of narrating his words and he still does walk through like a good chunk of his career up to like uh island of dr moreau and then they kind of start glossing over things but that like 10 year chunk from like uh when he starts like top gun actually and uh and then kind of up to i don't dr moreau he kind of goes through like each movie lost up by being batman it's it's very interesting i thought it was really good so um i really would want to recommend people check that out it's really it's a good documentary I completely forgot that that came out this weekend because I saw, <laughs> I think I saw like three new movies this weekend, and so I really want to check that out. Yeah, that um, I have Prime, so I should, I definitely want to get on that because that trailer made me cry. So uh, the trailer yeah, made yeah. me cry. 
yeah. <laughs> oh, it, it'll probably get you a couple times. It uh, it's oh, it's emotional. Sure. So, um, man, well, well that, good though. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I hope I hope you like it because <laughs> I'm just so surprised reading these reviews where it's like people are just kind of like, eh. like I, it just doesn't seem like a movie you would go out of, or leave kind of just saying like it was okay. Like <laughs> maybe it just hit well, me differently. I don't know. That's interesting. Interesting that you bring that up. Like, um, because we've actually seen a lot of good reviews for the Woodstock one, and it's the not to go too on too much of a tangent here, but the the one thing I've been bumping up against with like like going, you know, just trying to discover different kinds of documentaries or like not even documentaries because like uh, I mentioned still processing before the short film. Um, that's my favorite movie I've seen this year. And I wouldn't even call that a documentary. It's just like more like like creative nonfiction, I would say. And like, I've been noticing a lot of people kind of bump up against those when those kind of movies have a point of view, they, they think, well, am, am I being lied to or am I only being shown one perspective? And so it sounds like what you're saying is that a lot of people are having like, that kind of issue with the Val one and I kind of like that I want you know like I'm there to see a perspective and I I'm because I, I think that they're just as much of a what, what's the word I'm looking for those are just as much of like under the umbrella of cinema as like narrative movies are and I yeah, want to see the yeah. choices being made and the perspectives you know being shown and everything and I, I find a lot of people lately I've been seeing a lot of people bump up against things like that like the but the one I mentioned before, they, you know, they say all oh, that some of this feels staged or this and that. And it's like, but I like that though. I like when I can see a filmmaker making choices as opposed to the Woodstock one, which feels like it's just regurgitating information at you with no focus or perspective. And it's just, it, it, it's nice seeing, you know, things make choices, I guess. Sorry, I was kind of rambling. At the no, end you're, you're fine. I do it all the time in the show. It's fine. <laughs> it's like, uh, no, I mean, it's, I, I like both. I, I can, like, I, the Woodstock one, I'll watch more of like, oh, this is interesting. But right. the Val one is more like, it would hit me emotionally. I think it's better made. Like, there's a place for right. both, but I just appreciate it. Like, and if you go into the Val one knowing, like, yeah, it's from his perspective. So it's a little skewed to like, you know, but he doesn't shy away from things that he did that weren't great. I mean, it's like how he says, like, he wasn't there a lot for his wife or when he was there, he was really difficult to be around. Um, so, I mean, it's not completely like sugarcoated. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, people should definitely check that out. Especially if you have, if you have prime, it's on there for free. So um, that was really all I had to bring up. So I guess now we can get into uh, Miami vice the main event here. So um, definitely just, just dive right in with the, uh, uh, Park Jay-Z. <laughs> I was so excited for that CD when it came out. By the way, <laughs> that Lincoln yeah, Park Jay Z yeah, matchup CD. Yeah. I was like, oh first day, take my money. I was pissed when it had six songs, though. I remember I was pissed about that. <laughs> I remember that being like such a mind blowing album for me. And then when I saw the trailer for Miami Vice and it used that song, I was like, this is going to be my favorite movie ever. And I, <laughs> this is crazy, but I didn't. I I don't think I even saw it until couple years ago maybe five six years ago i didn't see it in theaters and i remember wanting to and i never saw it in the theater which is crazy to think about but, but <laughs> that, um, my yeah. first question actually was when you first saw this you said about five or six years ago you first saw this i think so it was um i i saw it right around the time um i don't know maybe that was the second time i saw it because i know blank check podcast did a whole series on Michael Mann and I remember seeing it five six years ago and 
because Collateral had been one of my favorite movies for years. And I was like always in on Michael Mann, like his Collateral and Heat were great, but I wasn't like, I never took like the full plunge. And I, I watched Miami Vice and everything. That was really cool, but I, I don't think I quite understood what it was going for. And then, uh, so that was maybe five, six years ago. And then the Blank Check podcast did an episode on it. And their episode was like three hours long. And I remember I, I watched the movie after they talked about it. And it wasn't just their perspective, but just like seeing it just with fresher eyes and everything. I was just like, wow, this is like, this feels like nothing I've ever seen before. And I just, I like couldn't, couldn't stop thinking about it. So yeah, like I, I don't remember the exact time I saw it, but yeah, it was probably five, six years ago. And then we visited again a few years after that. And then now I watch it like all the time. <laughs> now we just saw like a loop sitting in the background. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny because yeah i actually did see it a long time ago like probably when it first hit dvd that's how like like 2007 or something probably because i remember yeah where i was living that would have been about 2007 and i remember like i loved collateral and i was excited about my advice because it looked good to me i was like it's, it's you know good cast come up collateral it should be good and then like the when this came out if people don't remember all the talk was about what a disaster the shoot was how much money it cost and how it wasn't like the TV show. So everybody was remember, yeah. yeah. Everybody was bagging on it for all these things that like weren't the movie. They were all obsessed with like things around the movie. Um exactly. Which was and then I wrote it off too because it's like and I but I rented it and I remember watching I don't remember which cut I even saw first if it was theatrical director's cut, but I saw it and I shoulder shrugged it. I was like, "Eh, it, it did nothing for me." Like I was just cold. And I was like, "Eh, I don't, you know, whatever." And then I think I watched it again a few years later and kind of didn't feel anything. And like last year, last summer was like the, uh, <laughs> the, the viewing where it's like the magical viewing where like everything yeah. falls into place because it was middle of the summer. It was like late at night. I had put the windows up and it was like that warm breeze coming in. And <laughs> I was just vibing with the movie. I was like, yes, I get it now, Michael Mann. Like I had finally got past all the, worrying about the plot and all that stuff and i was just like on the movie's wavelength and i just like felt it which sounds pretentious but i don't know how else to say it but i just like went no, with it it, <laughs> it it that's a great way to put it exactly like it's it's like the perfect example of like a vibe movie and and the older i get the more i'm realizing that like plot doesn't matter much to me and if i'm just like feeling a movie like i'm because like yes plot matters on some level i guess but but i just think like it's such a visual medium that if i'm just like invested in what i'm looking at sometimes it almost doesn't matter right i'm the same way i, I think i said a couple times in this podcast where it's like the older i get the less and less that i care about plot it's like it yeah. really comes secondary because um a movie like mandy is like a movie that i just want to like watch and feel and get on its way like i don't really like the plot is important. I mean, I do care about him trying to get Mandy back and all that stuff, but like it's more movie that I watch and just kind of feel and kind of absorb. And like, yeah, my advice like finally hit for me. I was like, oh, I've been watching this the wrong way. <laughs> like, yeah. And the digital photography, which I think I was kind of like eh, on like a long time ago, like I'm like, I, this actually fits perfectly because I. I was actually born in Fort Lauderdale and my grandparents lived down there for like a long time after we moved away. Um, and so they're like 20, 30 minutes from Miami. So oh, okay. yeah. Watching Miami Vice, like, I was like, wow, he really did capture like a 
like Miami at night. It has like this hazy feel like the digital photography really captures that. I feel like there's like this like kind of you just feel I don't know, just feel it sounds like stupid. I don't know how to say it, but it's like there's I've been down there. Yeah, and it just it has this feel of like Miami at night. I feel like he captured it so well that way and i just i got on that i'm like i was on board for everything this time <laughs> like 100 yeah. percent on board <laughs> it, it, it's so true it's like um it, there's just something about the digital photography that's just like i've said this a lot and it makes me sound so pretentious but it just <laughs> it feels like it, it feels like otherworldly like you're like you're seeing something that like shouldn't exist it's like in, in the way, because I know that it threw people off when, when in Collateral too, because I think Collateral was one of the earlier uh, digital handheld movies and everything. And I know a lot of people were like really put off by that. And I just, but I think it, the way he uses it, he captures like, you can see everything all at once. And it's like the shot I always think about is early on in the movie when they're on the rooftop and they're both talking on cell phones and you have no idea what's going on. They're both yelling into different cell yeah. phones at the same time. And you're like, I don't understand any of this but I can see all of Miami behind them clear as day. The sky's purple because there was a hurricane going on. And it's just like, <laughs> this is the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. And it's gorgeous. Like there's nothing that looks like it. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I remember collateral, they made a big deal out of the digital handheld uh, photography. Like they just, everyone yeah. was like, Whoa, what is, you know, people didn't like it. And, and uh, I feel like, it works even better in this. I feel like this is like the next level he got to where it's like, Oh, this was the perfect, uh, like medium for you to use that on. Um, that, that shot on the rooftop looks so good. I agree with you. And that's like one of those moments where, yeah, like a storm's rolling in you just feel it. Like, I don't, it just, I feel like you're saying, I keep feeling it, but it's like, yeah, yeah. it's so hard to describe a movie that you kind of feel and vibe with when you're trying to put into words. Like, and that's why, again, I want to do this podcast. I want to talk about this movie because I'm like trying to work it out myself. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and I, I'm still not entirely sure I've come up with like the right way to describe it, even though I wrote like a ton of words on it recently. <laughs> like I, I, my girlfriend actually had like a great like moment with me. We we watched it together for the first time a couple months ago because she had never seen it, and she's not like super into action movies, and I don't even think this is a traditional action movie. So yeah, like, yeah. But, but she, but um, she'll watch anything, and she. She was like, yeah, I want to watch that with you. It's one of your favorites. And so we watched it, and that scene came up where they're like yelling into different cell phones. She said, "What? Are, what's going on right now?" And I said, "Honestly, it doesn't matter. I was like, don't worry about it. <laughs> I, don't even worry." And, and then, and then during the, um, I want to say it was during the, the scene where they go to save um, Jamie Foxx's girlfriend. I don't know why I'm blanking on the actress's name right now because it's uh, is it Naomi Harris? I, I think, think it is Naomi Harris. I was gonna say I'm yeah. looking it up, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, my girlfriend turned to me during that scene and was just like, "This movie sucks." And I was like, "Yeah, that's the only way to describe this movie." I was like, "Because like we were both silent for such a long time, and she just looked at me and said that." And I was like, "Yeah, that that's absolutely the way to describe this movie." <laughs> that's the per- yeah. That's all you need to say. It's like this movie fucks. It's like it, it just has yeah a vibe to it. It's got a like a sexiness I didn't really pick up on the first time. Like I remember yeah the first time I was like really not into like the going to Cuba subplot with like Colin Farrell and Gong Lee, but now it's one of my favorite parts of the movie where I'm like, yes. And, and Gong Lee is just like, just comes into that movie and it's like, who is this? Cause you're just like, she, she's playing like a, I, I think a Chinese Cuban woman. And yeah. if I'm, 
in and if the backstory in the movie's right, like she didn't speak English and she just spoke her lines phonetically, which is insane because that sounds like it should be a horrible performance and she's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. That's amazing. I didn't know she did that. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like nothing about the movie feels like it should have come together. And I guess for a lot of people it didn't, but it just like, it just feels like at every turn, the movie was like destined to fall apart in a lot of ways it kind of did. But I think that's part of what makes it so special to me is that like all of these disasters happened with the making of the movie and something like this came out of it, which is unlike any movie I've ever seen before or since. And it just like, it just makes me so happy to watch it. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. And like, I, I was thinking a day, I may, I think I read another article about it where it's like, yeah, they wouldn't even allow him to make this movie nowadays, like $135 million um, for this kind of like weird meditative. Uh, I don't, it's like this, you know, this movie with, that's kind of like hard to, get into i think for a lot of people at first because it almost feels like it keeps you at arm's length because it's kind of aloof i guess is the word <laughs> like yeah. um and like you said that's a great example with like the first one of the first scenes on that rooftop when they're just like talking that's a very michael mann thing to just throw out like technical like especially like cop police uh drama or, or, or jargon i mean jargon like just kind of like the technical talk and he like expects you to keep up you know or just yeah. not even worry about it <laughs> So. Yeah, that that's that's the thing that I've been like really keying in on with his movies. Is I don't understand most of what I'm watching, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like, um, especially in something like Black Hat, which uh, we can get to later probably. But um, like, I just realized that he's so concerned with like professionals doing their job well, and he just <laughs> puts all this lingo in there that you're just like, I don't get any of this, but I get the general idea of what this what is going on. And I I, I kind of like that. I like that he just kind of like kind of just throws you in and doesn't explain anything and it's like you're either in or you're out <laughs> yeah I, I, love that. <laughs> I love that too and i yeah making that point to you about michael mann for years what i came to like kind of love and realize about him is like he's so obsessed with like people who are really really good at their jobs like professionals who are good yeah. at what they do no matter what it is like if it's insider it's like the best reporter if it's thief it's the best thief you know it's like he wants like the best of the best and he's obsessed people who are good at their jobs and super professional um and it's like a thread through like all his movies like it's like i don't think there's one movie that that kind of bucks that trend if i'm thinking of if i'm not forgetting anything but uh um the only one i can think of and i need to see it again because it's been so long since i've seen it and i saw a horrible copy of it is the thief which i don't know if that follows any of his traditional narrative things but that movie's weird like that <laughs> I, I i just recently got a bootleg blu-ray of that because it doesn't exist anywhere and i i want to rewatch it because i don't know what to make of that movie and i think he disowns it but that's the only one i can think of that might that might not fall into that line but that but other than that yeah there's just such a through line with like men who are really good at their jobs and <laughs> exist in this like weird purgatory of only being in that job and they never get out it's, it's very it's like sad in a lot of ways yeah it's it's like and this movie especially is like has this like fatalistic feel to it and i was watching this i think it was like the last time i watched it last year when i watched it like this movie is literally all on the job all the time except for i think one scene with jamie fox and naomi harris when uh they're in their house and they're taking a shower but i'm like every other scene is like these guys are always on the job like there's no break like in heat he's interested also in like the lives that they're living behind the job, like their home lives. 
but yeah. my advice is like all job all the time like which is yeah, like, fascinating. Like even when <laughs> even when uh sunny and isabella are falling in love like they're still working one another yeah that's what i thought too time. it's like yeah. he thinks you're giving you a break but no like both these people are still working each other they're both still using like kind of putting on personas even though they're like falling in love but they're they're still not off the clock really <laughs> yeah <laughs> um it's fascinating i don't know like i just love that with him and then there's the whole i'm curious to take on this is definitely the michael mann like through line is this line that's popped up in like almost all of his movies about time is luck yeah definitely <laughs> do you have in... I, I have thoughts on this but i'm curious your thoughts on this line that he keeps dropping into movies he must be like honing on this line <laughs> Uh, I I think that's actually a good point. I never that's weird. I never really thought about how that is in all of the movies. But you're right. Wow. Because I, I wow. I, I'd like to hear your thoughts because that, that okay. kind of, yeah, <laughs> I didn't mean to blindside you. I thought yeah. Oh, um, no, no, I know no, I know what happens in Thief. It happens in Manhunter. It's in Heat yeah, for sure. I, it's in my advice. I, I can't remember. In, I noticed oh, it in Thief and Manhunter very recently, and and yeah, that's the first time I picked up on that. I was like, oh wait, this, I, that's that line. But yeah, that's. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that line really stuck with me, I think, in Manhunter first. And then I was watching Michael Mann movies close together um, and picking up on that line, keep returning. And all I can my my theory on it is that it's that these guys usually live these lives where they're on the run or they're the threat of being killed is like constant. <laughs> so anytime they get to be alive or just be free is luck for them. Like, you know, having time is having luck is how I kind of thought of it. <laughs> yeah. And, and as soon as you run out of it, it's just gone and you're dead or, yeah. <laughs> or, or you're, you're, you're out basically. Right. Either you're pretty much, you're caught like by the police or you're dead or something, but like just constantly kind of living like on the run or like living just kind of this, you know, like you could be killed any moment type thing. So that's what I feel like that whole escape to Cuba with Colin Farrell and Gong Li is like them having this very short time together uh, where they're kind of free from everything for a little bit. And then how they can't, you know, they can't keep living that life because they're, you know, they're kind of not who they say they are. He's definitely not who say who he says he is. And like, it just can't last basically. Like that's the, the whole idea. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's a great point. I love that because that, that was something I wrote a lot about. That, um, and I, I guess I didn't even realize it, but the, what you just described, I wrote a lot about in that piece was um, it it was like it, it's just like there's like always the presence of an escape somewhere on the horizon, but it's just never coming to them. And and like the thief opens with James Bond finishing a heist. And then he goes and looks out at the ocean, and then they go to the ocean later with Jim Bushi. But he, like, the ocean's always in reach, but he can never cross it. And it's just like that constantly comes back. Like Will Graham and Manhunter can never get out of it. You can never. He's he's always being pulled back in, and you know with what he does by the end of that movie. Even though he's with his wife and kid at the end, he's he's gonna be fucked up forever because of what he's done. Right. And there's just never <laughs> yeah. a way out. And and I think the only one that really presents a way out somewhat is black hat and even have you seen black hat i have i have yep yeah yeah that, that was one that i had i hadn't seen until this year and i just was like enamored with it and i think it's because i'm in such a michael mann space all <laughs> yep. the time that it's just like i was trying to love that one even though that one's like kind of a mess 
but but even that one like he gets away with the girl but like they're still being surveilled for the rest of their lives like there's always the eye of surveillance and i just find that interesting that man has like a he just has like this thought process i guess that like if you're committed this committed to something it, it's never going to leave you no matter what yeah that's a really good point and um it's funny because you sound like you were in the same place I was last year. I went to my Michael Mann like phase because I know I watched Black Hat and Thief and Manhunter and Insider and Miami Vice again. Um, it's like once you get on like his level, it's like all you want to do is watch Michael Mann movies. I feel like. Yeah, and and I need to I need to go through the '90s again because I get I get in such a weird headspace where I'm like stuck with like the '80s, like Thief and Manhunter, and then I jump straight to the 2000s with Collateral, Miami Vice, and um, Black Hat, and. I mean, I've only seen Public Enemies once. I didn't love it. I want to rewatch it because a lot of people would tell me that that's a lot better a second time. And uh, Ali, I think, is really good, but that's just never one that I like key on too much. But but yeah, I want to go back and do his 90s stuff again because I'm just, the heat is like a masterpiece, but it's never one I revisit as much as I should. Yeah, I, it's one I kind of, it's one of those movies that I kind of keep, uh, like I say, it's a masterpiece. It's five star movie, but I, I don't watch it that much. Almost because I, it's almost like an experience. I don't want to like taint it by watching it too much or something. You know, it's like this weird thought yeah. process of like I don't want to water it down by watching it too much. But um, it's so funny the whole idea of like these guys having like an escape. And sorry to spoil heat for anybody, but it's like twenty five years old. And it's very famous. <laughs> but love in the end of heat, where it's like he gives Nero such a clear out. And he he just can't do it. He doesn't take it. Yeah, sanity. Like yeah. to me, I'm watching it like you're crazy. But but like the character, you get it. You're like, okay, I get it. But I'm still like, oh, this is you just can't escape. And he's giving you an out right there. You just can't help yourself. It's like, it's so it's so interesting. <laughs> and it, it's the same thing with Sonny and Miami Vice. Like he he could run away with Isabella. He like he's clearly not doing well. Like uh, he's like. <laughs> kind of just like a shell of a human being and like Colin Farrell like brought a lot of that himself at that time but but um I I think that he he found happiness with this woman but he just can't bring himself to get away from what his real life is and that's just being on the job with his crew yeah that's and, that's what it feels like <laughs> and you get the sense that um the Tubbs would have absolutely been okay with him running away but like because I think he knows deep down that this life isn't healthy for Sonny because he gets so deep into it that he can't get out. And but I think that Sonny just can't do it. And it's just it's it's a it's like one of my favorite endings in any movie because it's it's just heartbreaking watching him walk back into that hospital. Yeah, I thought about that ending in a whole new way. I think once I read your article because it, I almost thought of it. I didn't think it was anticlimactic, but I don't think I put as much into thinking about the the ending where he's walking back in the hospital. But like thinking of him. As I think you said it's like just a shell like he's just walking back to his life because that's what he does like he's just a cop and he's got his team and um they kind of made me kind of reevaluate it and, and kind of hit harder um because yeah it is sad it's like he could have gotten away I there's a shot I feel like near the end when Colin Farrell's kind of getting Gong Lee out of all this chaos and Jamie Foxx sees him and they make eye contact yeah and, and it's like i love that moment it's a quick moment but like the look on colin farrell's face he looks kind of like crazy i don't know so put it, he looks like but like i'm gonna i'm gonna get out of here and it's it's yeah. almost like there's an understanding and, and the movie almost primes you to think like oh they just acknowledge that like he's running away and yeah kind of sets you up to think like 
that's what's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, like I'm doing this, and Jamie Foxx kind of looks at him like he understands, but then Colin Farrell comes back. It's like this is this is what he does. It's and it's funny because I think you mentioned this in your article. Uh, they they kind of like the Colin Farrell has like is kind of a mess, but then Jamie Foxx has like a kind of stable like home life with Naomi Harris. Yeah, like that juxtaposition he, of the two of them, you know. <laughs> and it's such a funny thing too because the, it was kind of true of like making the movie too is like like it was a very dangerous film shoot when they went i i don't want to mess up what country they were filming and i can't remember now but um there was a shooting on set and jamie fox was like i'm getting the fuck out of here and he left and it was like a very dangerous shoot and so like he's but colin farrell stayed and like it was just a mess throughout the entire filming like he says in a lot of interviews like he's very funny about this movie like i've seen interviews with him where Miami Vice will come up and he'll just like kind of put his head down and be like, oh yeah, that was a mess, that didn't work. And it's like he's very hard on the movie and himself. Mm-hmm. But I and and um I've seen like interviews like, oh no, it's been reevaluated, and he's like, oh yeah, okay, sure. And just like, <laughs> but, like he's very like humble about it. But but he's like such a mess in that movie, and you can tell there's scenes where like there, it almost doesn't feel like acting. Where they're like the one I always think about is um it's when they go to see that guy the actor's name is eddie Mar- eddie marzan or eddie marzan i can't remember but he's he has like the southern accent and they go to his house like the whole crew goes to his house and he has his big glass windows and they're like interrogating him for something and like threatening him telling him like if you don't talk to us you know you're not going to be safe and the whole thing like they keep just cutting back and forth to him and the team and at one point you just see colin farrell look out the window and it just looks like he just like is looking into like time and space itself. He looks so like lost, and it's like, yeah. are you acting or are you okay, man? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> are you here right now? It's funny because yeah. I watched a like quick like ten minute video on YouTube earlier um, that some guy had done like a little like a video essay, I guess you call it, about Miami Vice, and he he did echo a lot of the same points. I I, I feel like we're kind of making any. He brought up that scene you just brought up, and I had not really thought about that scene that much before about like they're interrogating that guy, and it's this decision that a lot of people probably wouldn't make to have like Colin Farrell just kind of stare off into the distance like because like that's what the whole idea of like escape is like right there like you just go and sleep you know and it's like he's in this other world I don't it's it's his performance is so interesting because um I think I read he was like deep in like his addiction was it alcohol at this time it, it was, yeah. Okay. Like, I think that was the primary one. A lot of people say like he comes off as a manifestation of coke in that movie, but I don't know <laughs> if that was. I don't know if that was one of his problems, but I know alcoholism was what was messing him up. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, he feels like a guy who's kind of a mess. I mean, I hate to, like I feel kind of sad that it's like he was going through a bad time in his real life, and it translates into what I think is a really good performance. But it's it feels like this guy's kind of a mess, and he's like looking for kind of relief escape something and that comes across a lot in the movie and what now i might be wrong about this wasn't this movie more kind of geared toward jamie fox and because of jamie fox's like actions they kind of pushed it back more toward colin farrell yeah um, okay <laughs> so i haven't i haven't read up fully on this aspect of it but i do know that there was an ending that i don't know if it was i think it was scrapped entirely i don't think they even shot any of it but there's supposed to be like a big climactic ending with like a big like, cause there's a big shootout with uh, Jose Yero's people at the end where they're all shooting at each other. But I think that there was supposed to be like a big, like, storming of the main villain's compound, if I'm remembering right. And I could be wrong, so don't quote me on this. But, but I, I think that Man had this whole ending planned and like that involved a lot of Jamie Foxx and everything. And because Jamie Foxx left the movie and 
the Heat wouldn't shoot where they were going to shoot that. Uh, they just they had to scrap all of that. I think the ending works really well as it does, but I but man's so good at like gunfire and gunshots, like he's like probably the best at that in film. Yeah. <laughs> and I, so I, there is a part of me that would have loved to have seen a big final showdown at that compound too. I'm always interested to see what that would have looked like. Yeah, I definitely remember hearing that, uh, and that definitely was the case that they had this whole huge thing planned and it got totally scrapped. Because Jamie Foxx wouldn't go wherever they wanted to shoot it, I'm pretty sure. And I did look up, uh, they were in the Dominican Republic, and gunshots were fired near the set. Right. He just literally packed up, left, refused to come back, and would not leave the United States. Um, And and to be honest, it's it's like, I can't really blame him, to be honest. That is a scary situation. And if you're a guy like him who just came off of winning an Oscar, you're one of the biggest stars in the world right now. It's like, why am I here? Like, I I don't need to be here for this. (laughs) The weirder thing, though, is apparently he wouldn't go on boats or fly. And, oh, I read that, too. So I, <laughs> yeah, I and so I guess I guess the shots of him on boats and flying must have been composite or something, because I because there are shots of him doing both, but I guess there, it must have been trickery or something, because it's just so <laughs> weird that you're, on my, you're, you're in Miami Vice, so it's the show about both. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you kind of got to be in a boat for this, Jamie Foxx. Yeah. Like, get it together. It's so, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't want to, I think Harry Foxx is a good actor, but I have heard stories, especially after he won the Oscar, I think, that he got kind of like a big head. Um, yeah. It's a funny story because I uh, was actually dating someone for a long time and she was in the Navy. And one of the guys that she trained with, I think, had a story about, you remember that movie Stealth that came out? With like Josh, oh yeah, yeah, I think it was Josh yeah. Lucas, Jamie Fox, and that guy was like one of the uh, kind of military advisors on the set for Stealth, and he said Jessica Biel was really cool. Josh Lucas, if it was him, I can't remember what's the 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 main guy, or was it Bradley Cooper? I can't remember. Whoever the main white guy is was cool. Jamie Fox said he was a total dick, so it's like <laughs> didn't want to talk to anybody, act like a diva. I'm like, oh, this does sound like a pattern that was emerging here for him, like after this, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean. Like, I mean, it, it kind of works out. So, <laughs> yeah, it definitely works out because it makes the movie a lot more like personal than it probably would have been, like, where Colin Farrell's concerned. And it's weird, too, because I think Jamie Foxx is really great in this movie, too. And it's just it's a shame that, like, whatever his hang ups were, he couldn't get out of his own way because I think, like, he's really great in the movie. And it's just, like you said, it's a shame that he companies going on with him around that time. <laughs> yeah. And, um, it's, it's, uh, it's funny because um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> it's like, oh, I was going to say, he's so good in collateral. I love Jamie Foxx in collateral. Oh, yeah. And I feel like that's like a performance where it's not very, um, uh, what's the word? It's not a, a very glamorous performance. He's playing a cab driver. Yeah. Who's like kind of awkward and like nerdy. And it's like, you know, I just think it's so different from here. It's it's like, it feels like he had to be like the cool guy and like the diva on the set. The cool guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and apparently... <laughs> Apparently he needed he wanted to be first on the poster and because um, like the show I haven't seen too much of the show even though I probably should because I love the movie but the show was always geared a bit more towards Crockett than it was Cubs from what mm-hmm. I've seen so so from what I what I understand there were posters made up of Colin Farrell's face in front of Jamie Foxx's and Jamie Foxx was like no I want to be paid more and I want to be in front and Colin Farrell actually took a pay cut to accommodate that so wow yeah um, yeah it's it's interesting it's just funny how like he's titled he's billed first he's on the poster first but he's really not the focus at all 
no, really, he's not. I mean, it's it's mostly the Colin Farrell show. I mean, like, I'm, I mean, yeah. they give him that whole long sequence. He goes out to Cuba by himself. But you kind of forget about Jamie Foxx even being in the movie. You know? Yeah. It's, like, um, <laughs> it's interesting. And I don't, you know, it's funny because I don't know what the, the original ending was going to be. It's like it was a big thing. But I like the, the ending we got because it kind of feels grounded in a way which it's definitely it's this shootout still and it, you know, michael mann has like the best gunshot sounds in the business i don't know how he does like they're so good <laughs> it's like getting hit in the chest you're like jesus he's gunshot sounds and it's like this very brutal um shootout that's like very contained and not super flashy but that basically more real, like realistic and grounded to me which i kind of appreciate so yeah i, I like I, it <laughs> i i, I 100% agree with that. I think that ending's perfect, and then it sets up like just how like mu- much of a gut punch it is that you know he has to let her go, and just it, I like that it ends quietly, just at that hospital. Like it's just like it's kind of like, like an exhilarating movie for two and a half hours, and it kind of just like lets you breathe at the end a little bit, even though you're like kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 funny. Like it has so many. I think that's probably what audiences have a problem with. It has so many like kind of like contemplative quiet moments. I imagine people went to go see like a big flashy Miami Vice action movie and they got this like quiet, uh, you know, kind of, you know, they probably know what they were seeing. Like, what is this? This, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, this thing, this thing looks weird. This, <laughs> why does it look like this? Why are people mumbling? <laughs> I don't know it's... what he's saying. But... <laughs> I don't know what any of these terms mean. I'm not a, a police yeah. officer. I don't know what the hell's going on. Um, yeah, I, I remember is... even. <laughs> oh, sorry. Like, I was going to say why. Oh no, I was going to say why is this British actor playing a man whose last name is Fujima? <laughs> 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 oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very i mean just very odd to the mainstream like to be a summer blockbuster it's odd like and um and i just <laughs> like it's funny because i didn't watch a show i was too young for the miami vice show but i think i was even expecting something more because i knew what the show was or what i thought the show was was you know guys in like bright shirts and like white jackets and like <laughs> you know boat races yeah. and very bright and apparently i've heard the show is darker than people most people remember <laughs> It is like I've seen enough of it to know that Crockett like eventually ends the show like so messed up like with his various identities like he's like so far into like going undercover just like Colin Farrell's Crockett is that like he's like kind of just like disheveled by the end wearing like jeans and like a you know he's like all like just like kind of a mess by the end and I I always wonder if people remember that. Or if they just remember, you know, like the cool suits and the cool music and, you know, guys on speedboats and, you know, that's, that, that's probably what that show is most known for. So I get, I get like the frustration with the movie, but it, it, it the movie's tone isn't dissimilar from the show, especially as the show went along. Yeah, I, I think I think people because I'm thinking of like uh, a show like I Love the 80s on VH1 that would talk about all these things in very quick. And I feel like people remember the I Love the 80s version of Miami Vice because all I talk about Definitely. was like, oh, yeah, they had cool fashion and fast boats. And that's it. They don't talk about anything yeah. else. Like... Nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the surface level version of that show. So and I guess the music, maybe a little bit, too. I know that was kind of a big deal was the music on the show. But um yeah, people just don't. It's one of those things I think is kind of misremembered as one thing, and it was something kind of different. Um, and I do want to talk about this because I know I think we both agree on this that between the unrated director's cut and the theatrical cut, uh, you prefer the theatrical cut, right? 
I do, yeah. Okay, I do too. Because that fucking opening is so good. <laughs> like it's so crucial, yeah. I can't bear to lose it in the director's cut. Like the because they drop you anybody doesn't they drop you right in to this club with the Lincoln Park Jay Z song playing that I love that song and they just drop you right in and they're just like on the job immediately and you're just kind of like asked to keep up basically it's like boom you're on the job go you know and it just uh, it's like whoa what's this yeah definitely and i think you know the, the boat race in the director's cut i don't know if you've seen that but it, it's cool it's like a i mean it's undeniably like a well shot sequence but it's just you're right just dropping right in and and you also get everything you need to know about profit and tubs in that because they just he whispers something or, or not profit and tubs, i mean i uh, just the whole dynamic of the group you get everything you need to know like he whispers to one of them and he walks off and and they're you know they trust him to do what he's going to do and they just this movie has so much nonverbal communication between the team and especially profit and tubs and i like i like just being dropped into that open and like you kind of just you're just like forced to like you know trust this movie and you know and i think that that's the kind of a cool thing is like you get to see the trust between the characters through all this nonverbal guy you know communication yeah no that's a great point and i it's like again a michael mann thing to just kind of like kind of put you into to the job and just ask you to keep up and he's not gonna like hold your hand really you know um, yeah it's i i love that I, like i can't lose that opening that's why and i like the i did watch the boat race um because i i always go to the theatrical cut but i kind of want to like kind of check out the director's cut and it's fine but i just like i love that opening so much i can't i can't lose it and the boat race looks cool but no nothing beats like just boom like you're into the movie immediately yeah. <laughs> like and that's and that's the funny thing is i'm generally like way more for the director's vision like i like just this year not i don't want to go too much into this because it's a whole another conversation but <laughs> i was never a huge Zack snyder guy and, and i was like always kind of like oh, i mean i'm not that interested in his cut i think it's kind of silly but then i watched his cut and i was like blew me away and was like my favorite superhero movie I'd seen in years. And I was like, wow, you know, I want to see every director's full on vision now, but like, so I'm always kind of pro that, but in this case, as much as Michael Mann's probably my favorite filmmaker, I, I don't think I agree with him on the, on the cut. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's funny because I uh, posted something that I didn't mean to get this much steam, but it picked up steam. I, I asked a question on Twitter that was like, what theatrical cuts do you think are better than director's cuts? And I'm pretty sure you responded with this one. <laughs> I think you responded oh, yeah, to that tweet. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people surprisingly came back at me with a lot of different theatrical cuts. I like more of the director's cut. I was surprised at like a lot of people were saying stuff like, you know, like, oh, well, usually the theatrical cut's better because sometimes directors kind of like get too in love with their own project and it's not as good. And I'm like, well, that's not what I used to think. You know, I, I you know, I, I'm used to thinking like everyone thinks director's cuts usually are superior. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, this case, I, I do think the theatrical is better, but the director's cut isn't much worse, honestly. It only adds like seven minutes, I think. Um, oh, no, it's definitely not worse. Like, I've seen people be like super dismissive of it and be like, oh, no, it's terrible. And I don't think it's terrible. I just, it's just, it's such a, I think the movie just takes on a completely different tone with with the theatrical opening because you're just like, wow, we're, we're in it. And, yeah. And I just, <laughs> yeah. Like, I just, I think losing that, you kind of like, Kind of lose some of the magic of the movie entirely to me at least i i agree 100 i'm with you on that one so i had to, I had to ask about that opening because i know we're both fans of it um yeah <laughs> one scene i had kind of forgotten about for years i can't let forgot about it it's such a good scene uh when when naomi harris gets kidnapped by like the white supremacist i believe and taken to this trailer park 
that scene is so fucking tense. I could it like, is, yeah. Oh my God. When I was watching it like last summer, rewatching it, I was like, how did I forget this scene? It's so good. And then it's, he, Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. The way he punctuates it too. I had forgotten about that because I mean, we're way into spoilers now, if anybody, but it's like the way you think it's kind of, we're good. We're done. We've killed the, the guy, the bad guys, whatever. And then Naomi Harris is still in the doorway and then the trailer blows up. That got me like a, like a jump scare in a horror movie. I was like, I know that <laughs> that, that, that had the same reaction. Cause like I had seen it that one time and, and liked it, but wasn't sure how I felt about it. And then a few years later when I rewatched it and it, it really hit with me, I completely forgot about the explosion part. And I like jumped out of my chair because like, you're just so invested. He, he's so great at action scenes that invest you in like, and make you like want everyone to see want, want to see everyone make it out okay because there's such brutal scenes and tense scenes and that explosion is just such a gut punch <laughs> yeah it's I, I was glad she ended up surviving but i was like oh shit she died i forget but no yeah. it's it's a great button and because you think the scene's done and then he's like no not yet and uh one thing he's really good at too we kind of already talked about it is like I feel like his action scenes kind of put you in the action i'm thinking of heat too like the heist scene when they're on the street really oh, yeah you feel like you're like part of the crew i feel like you know it's it's so insane how he really gets you in there and just kind of like puts you on ground level with these people like you're like you're in on the action which i always am so impressed by and it has this grounded feel to it it's so immersive yeah like in one i the one i always think about is black hat that and this is sorry spoilers for black hat whoever's listening but but when Chris Hemsworth has his confrontation with the final bad guy, it's like not this big triumphant fight that you would normally see in an action movie. It's so like, he's like wrapped up in magazines and just like <laughs> in this festival and you feel like you're in the festival with them and all these people are moving around them and he just like brutally stabs this guy repeatedly and you're just like, holy shit, like this is unbelievable. <laughs> and it's like, it's never a triumphant thing. And I think that that's another thing that I like about him a lot is that like I, I do, you know, like we're, we're both uh, considered part of action Twitter, I guess. And we, you know, we love big fights and everything to end the movie. And, you know, like, you know, Scott Adkins is one of my favorite guys. And I love seeing him, you know, have his big final battle with people and kick people's asses. But, but at the same time, there's something to be said for what man does with like, you don't feel a sense of like happiness when, when his confrontations are over. You're just kind of like, man, like, that was rough. <laughs> yeah, it's like glad we survived that. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's not like usually big like hero gets the villain moment. You know, it's not like some triumphant like you said like moment where it kind of feels like uh, what's the word like a necessary thing, but it's not a real victory. I I'm really thinking of Heat again too. I keep bringing up Heat, but it's like <laughs> with Al Pacino oh, yeah. and De Niro and that ending. It's just kind of like this had to happen or you know it, it's not like he's celebrating <laughs> necessarily but, so well that's that's a perfect one manhunter is a perfect one too when will graham breaks through the window and kills uh the tooth oh. fairy you're just and that that doesn't feel good at all you're just like wow that was <laughs> that was really fucked up right this isn't like a michael mann heroes don't really get like cool ending lines i'm pretty sure i don't think they get like cool like you know uh diplomat community like it's just been revoked or something like that happening yeah. or anything you know um which is so interesting. Think, yeah. 
I think the coolest kiss-off line that I think any of his characters get is, um, I forget the actress's name now, but it's during the confrontation with Saving Naomi Harris. She tells the guy exactly what she's going to do to him and then oh, does yeah. it. And, <laughs> and like, that's the coolest line he gives somebody. And then immediately after that, Naomi Harris is blown up. And so you don't even get a chance to be like, wow, that was badass. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, that's probably the, like, the coolest moment he gets and they get blown half off over, you know, out of the trailer. Yeah, um, yeah he... Uh, I don't know. He's a really good director. I'm I, it's, I'll say this now cause I'm not going to do it, but I've been doing a series on Tony Scott's filmography and going through each movie. And I was thinking of doing a Michael Mann one when that was over, but I don't think I want to do like another thing where I'm committed to a series, but, uh, but he's a director. I would have, I would have liked to go through and do every single movie because um, the only ones I haven't seen are Ali and the keep and every other one I've at least liked, if not loved. And uh, he's just such a fascinating director. And it's funny cause He's still alive and I think working, but he has less movies made than Tony Scott, who died like ten years ago, or eight years ago. Yeah, um, yeah, and and that's that's true because like he's been doing some TV stuff. Like I I can't remember the name of that show, but I think it was called Luck. It was like about horses that got canceled immediately on HBO. Oh yeah, stuff died. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think he was involved in that, and then and I now he's doing Tokyo Vice, which I'm really excited for. Although the main star in that is Ansel Elgort, which he's had a whole bunch. Problems pop up the last few oh, years, so I don't yeah. know. Yeah, and I, I think they were only like half into shooting the pilot before that got shut down because of COVID. So who knows what's happening with that? And supposedly he's doing a Ferrari movie. He was he was supposed to do Ford vs Ferrari, and then that never came together. But I think he's still committed to doing a Ferrari movie with Hugh Jackman. So who knows? But yeah, it's weird that like he doesn't have a lot a lot of movies. It's 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 a small output. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's like I don't feel like he's a guy that takes like huge gaps like Kubrick did at the end or anything, but it's somehow he doesn't have that many movies like from Thief was 81. I think I think things got tougher for him uh, definitely after Miami Vice, because I feel like he's had bad luck since then. I feel like Miami Vice was such a tough production. It didn't do well. And then Public Enemies. I don't know if that was a tough production, but I don't think it did that well. I may be wrong. And then I, I know, think it did. I think it did okay because Bale and Depp were such big stars, but I don't think it was like a massive movie either. Although I could be wrong too, but that's one I'm like a big blind spot for me in terms of revisiting. Yeah, I saw that. I won't tell the story again, but I I, uh, I had a really bad theater experience in Public Enemies. Like a guy tried to fight me and the girl that I was with uh, because oh, yeah, his kids were like throwing shit, and uh, we she called them out. She's like, "Your kids are throwing stuff, at people." And this guy like took issue with that. Like his kids weren't assholes. <laughs> and, so, uh, and we he almost he was trying to fight me. I was like, "What? The, like what?" And like the manager had to walk us out to the parking lot and uh, get oh, us out of there. It was a horrible, horrible movie, ex- like a theater experience. And I have not seen Public Enemy <laughs> since because it was such a bad experience. And uh, but I have the Blu-ray. I need to rewatch it. Um, because it's probably I better than I remember. To. <laughs> yeah. I, def- I definitely want to rewatch it because like I, I had a much much less volatile experience than you did. But mine was just kind of like I, I have a very specific memory of that summer being like I was. I think I was 18 in 2009 and so I was like coming into like what I was wanting out of movies and everything mm-hmm. and I was like starting to like shift my taste a lot and like I remember that summer was X-Men Origins Wolverine, Transformers 2, Terminator Salvation and then Public Enemies and I remember just the run of those movies I was so miserable I was like god these movies are all fucking terrible and then <laughs> I went to see Public Enemies in just such a miserable headspace that I think it just wasn't what I was expecting it to be and I think I just kind of was 
bringing a lot of baggage from like other movies into it. And so I think I might've written it off a little bit, but I definitely want to revisit it because I don't think it's fair to do that, do that to him based on those other movies. I know, I know people like Terminator Salvation, but I just did not <laughs> like that movie. I don't, I don't know those people. I'm going to be honest with you. I, uh, I, I, think, see, I see yeah. it pop up from time okay. to time. There's, but I, I feel bad if anyone likes it now that I just said that, but I, I, I think <laughs> I even kind of liked it at the time, but I you know, have no desire to rewatch it. And I really haven't liked any Terminator sequel since T2. And it's like, I kind of liked Dark Fate. Was it called Dark Fate? I can't remember the name. Um, I thought that was okay. I mean, probably because other ones were so bad that I was just like, well, this is better, yeah. I guess. But um, I, just a franchise I, that should not be a franchise. I mean, that's... <laughs> yeah, and I think it, it's actually funny that, like, that this came up because I, I tweeted last night, which... Well, I don't know when this is coming out. So last night could, doesn't mean anything to anybody. Maybe about two weeks ago at this point, but still. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, so I'll just say I tweeted the other day um, that I was really missing action movies. Uh, or no, I saw someone tweet this. My, uh, my apologies. Uh, someone tweeted that they were missing action movies and had like a horror tinge to them because like a lot of people were talking about uh, The Night Comes for Us, oh, which yeah. is like one of my favorite movies it's ever. Amazing, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so I was thinking about like action movies that were like slashers uh, had a splasher bent to them like Cobra or like the Denzel Washington movie Ricochet like they they like take these action stars and drop them into a slasher movie and it's really cool to see that play out and someone brought up how the first Terminator is a slasher and I was like yeah that's a good point that I feel like even the second Terminator is way more of a full-on action movie but still the, the T-1000 is kind of terrifying and Robert Patrick plays it very scarily and I just I think that's what's missing from all these Terminator movies I think the first two especially the first one, but the, both both of them have like a kind of a horror tinge to them where it's like kind of scary what's going on. And I don't think any of the other movies capture that sense. They're more spectacle. And I just think that it's missing that a little bit. That's a really good point. I never thought of that, that being missing because um, yeah, definitely the first one has a horror vibe, a slasher vibe. And the second one, it kind of parts of it scared me as a kid. I remember for years, for some reason, I couldn't look at the part in T2 when uh, T one thousand is impersonating his step, his adopted mom, and she has the uh, uh, adopted dad or the I can't remember, the foster dad up against the wall with like the knife through his oh, head. Oh yeah, that really that's fucked terrifying. me up. Like, that, yeah, <laughs> that, that's terrifying. And then like uh, the stuff with um Miles Dyson is terrifying. Oh. He's sitting there bleeding out, just breathing heavily. Like that's horrifying. And then the fact that like you find out that like, or, oh maybe that's the third one that this happens in. But I think that there's like kind of like the the idea that no matter what they do, nothing's going to change, and and like that idea always terrified me. <laughs> yeah, I think like, that is the third one because it ends like that, and you're like, oh, maybe, oh shit. We maybe that's why I, maybe that's why the third one's my favorite sequel, even though it's way more comedic than the other ones and kind of cringy at times. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, like but yeah, the second one, like yeah, that's a good point. Like the thing where he has the spike in her in his stepdad's face is just horrifying. Yeah, and you can even think about the part when. Um... Arnold like cuts his arm off and shows them the the exoskeleton is like that was too much yeah. for me as a little kid like it's yeah and the way that they kind of shoot that asylum I feel like the lighting is kind of horror ish and he's coming at you like a slasher that cannot be stopped uh the oh, T-1000 yeah that scene is like it embedded in my memory forever the way she falls down in slow motion that's such a great moment <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. No, it's so uh, I love you too so much. I love both the first one and second one so much. And after that, it's like eh. it's like to me, it's I probably I should yeah. watch T3 because it's come up a lot on Twitter, I feel like recently. Maybe I just haven't seen it. Um people are like T3 is better than you remember. And I'm like, I don't know, but I'll, I'll give it I'd watch yeah, it again. I'd, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to I'd 
I'd like to do that too. Our, our mutual friend, Mike Scott, has told me recently, because I was talking about this a couple months ago, about the Terminator sequels, how I don't think there's a good one past two. And he was really going to bat for the Sarah Connor Chronicles. So maybe I'll give that show a watch at some point. He said that that's a really good follow-up to the movies. I've always heard that's good too. I think it only got like one season though was the problem, but I've always heard like yeah. that's a good, like if you want a good sequel, then watch that. <laughs> um, that's what I've heard too, yeah. Yeah, so I'll have to do that sometime. But, uh, but oh yeah, a little tangent, but back to Miami Vice. <laughs> yeah, sorry um, about that. It's okay, I love talking, I'm talking Terminator, I'm happy. So um, <laughs> I just, uh, I know we don't have like too, too much time, but like I just want, I know you love this movie so much. So anything else you like definitely want to talk about any scenes, any parts that you definitely want to bring up or is there anything you want to say um, about it? I think we kind of hit on everything, to be honest, because like my main things that I'm that I love about it are Colin Farrell, the, the photography, like the sense of like longingness every time he looks out a window. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess the kind of stuff that's been really hitting for me lately. So yeah, I think we cover a lot of it. Um, I'm sure I could talk way more about it, but I, but yeah, like I, I think that we really hit a lot of what I love about it. And I, I hope that I was able to get it across because I definitely ramble a lot. <laughs> no, no, you're good. I think, I think it was good. I, uh, I do want to ask you about the, the soundtrack. I feel like the music, I like the music a lot in this movie. I don't know about you, but Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I, 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 know... I think it. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. You're, you're fine. Um, I was going to say, I know people bag on this song, but I genuinely love the cover of in the air tonight. <laughs> Me too. I think okay. it's perfect. I think, yeah. I I love his weird, like, in the 2000s there where he got really into, like, alt rock and, like, like uh, Chris Cornell and Audio Slave. Like, he I, loved I Audio love Slave it. so much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just think, like, it fits, like, kind of, like, the dirtbag vibe of some of those characters, <laughs> especially the cover of In the Air Tonight. It's like a weird new metal version, and I, I really like it. Yeah, I love it too. It's perfect I... for the time. Yeah, I feel like it fits. I love when it comes on. Um, I think it's in the end credits. Um, and it might actually be before they even go to the final shootout, I think. Um, I think it is, yeah. And then it's also uh, the, the Blu-ray I have has a music video of it, which is like one of my, like, this one of the things I miss most about movies is the, like the music video oh, has yeah. like clips, clips from the movie intercut with it. It's just like perfect. <laughs> yeah, I miss those too. There's just something about like, they can just give me like goosebumps when you, when you match up images and song right i get like goosebumps i'm just like oh perfect Definitely, like i don't it's yeah. like um yeah i uh, yeah i love that song i love i love the mogwai songs the two like instrumental Definitely, i think one, yes. we are no here that's one of my favorite pieces of music ever i love that song yeah like, it's and so good <laughs> there's the two of them is that the i i should know this but that's the one where when he's leaving that's the one i believe i think that's it yeah, yeah yeah i love i love that song it's just such a perfect like evocative song it fits the mood so well yeah it's so good and then uh, yeah the audio slave is funny because i know people bag on the audio slave but i i think it fits too i'm with you i think it's good like i i like them anyway i love chris Cornell's voice and i feel like the audio slave fits i, I love the song he uses in collateral i can't remember which song it is oh uh shadow on the sun it is shadow, okay, shadow of the sun okay yeah yeah i that, love that's that a moment. great moment <laughs> that, that was because um, like, like you said we're like running out of time a little bit but like to go on a little bit of a collateral tangent <laughs> but that was the first Michael Mann movie I ever saw because I was 12 when I came out and I was like seeing a lot of movies with my dad he was introducing me to things like I watched Goodfellas and Pulp Fiction around that time like 11 or 12 oh nice like, yeah <laughs> like typical like you know like film bro kind of thing where like my mind was blown <laughs> by those yeah but so I started to see like more movies and I went to see collateral with my dad and I remember just like sitting in the theater just like 
in awe of what I was watching. And then when that played, when they're just driving through Los Angeles with Shadow in the Sun playing, I remember thinking, like, this is my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> like, I was like, this is amazing. This is as good as I've movies get. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I still love it. It's one of my all-time favorites. But at that moment, like, it was just so ingrained in me. Like, I was like, this is incredible. Like, there's nothing like this. Yeah, that's a, that was a big time for me. Like, oh, even before that, like, I would say, oh, three to oh, five. I feel like that was when... I, things really opened up and I was going to see more like R-rated stuff. I turned 17 04 so I could go see R-rated stuff for myself anyway but like I just feel like I was getting more into movies. I had way more into movies that time and directors and knowing who they were. So I think Collateral was my first Michael Mann movie too and I know I took somehow took my mom and little sister to Collateral and they actually liked it a lot. They loved it. But then I took them to see Man on Fire like the next oh same year and they did not do as well with that. My mom was like that's so violent. <laughs> <laughs> she's like i thought it'd be like that collateral movie i, or I can't remember what they came out but i remember i think i was trying to sell it like oh you'll like it it's got denzel washington and she was like jesus this is so violent <laughs> like um so yeah no I, that was a big time for me with all these like directors i love now that i was getting into their movies and seeing them in theaters was like a big deal but um no i love collateral too so well speaking of that so we can wrap up with the last thing here so i'd asked you earlier I think I already saw on Twitter for your top five. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry to spoil that. <laughs> that's okay. Um, that's okay. Cause I, you still don't know mine either. And I, I think I'm, I don't remember the order of yours. I kind of remember what movies you picked, but, um, but your top five Michael Mann movies. So if you want to tell people, I guess go from like five to one, I guess. Okay. So this was tough because it was like, like I hate this expression, but like choosing between my own children. Which, <laughs> I get which it. I don't yeah. have any, so. <laughs> but um, so leaving off his 90s run was super tough but like i said i don't revisit that one as much even though like i think i think objectively speaking if i had to be objective the insider is probably his best movie and then i think heat is a masterpiece so like leaving those off is like frustrating to me but anyway um <laughs> this was collateral for me because that was the first one i saw and i just i love that movie i think tom cruise is excellent in it and i think Kenny fox is excellent and just that digital photography like just is beautiful and just really love that movie so that's number five for me cool yep <laughs> i don't know if you want to do oh, you, you want to go back oh, and oh, forth sorry. Or... Oh, <laughs> oh no oh, I, I yeah i can just go through the okay I, okay I, yeah I <laughs> no, you're good you're good <laughs> we, we can cut that part out <laughs> um so four and four and three are kind of of a piece for me but uh, i have black hat and then thief and i and I have those two kind of together because I kind of think if he never makes another movie again, those are great bookends because Thief kind of starts in on, and this is like, God, I always feel super pretentious by going into all this, but but Thief kind of starts off in like these close-ups of like um, gears and machines turning of like space and everything. And, and Black Hat starts off as like circuit boards and computers and everything and close-ups on that and keyboards and stuff. And I just think it's like a really cool juxtaposition of how his like, how technology has grown but how like for him it's always been the same like these are machines to be exploited and like people will, will exploit them and i've always been really fascinated by that and i think that there's a lot of similarities between james Conn's frank and uh chris hemsworth's hathaway like i i just really love both of those movies and i think they're very similar in a lot of ways and i just i, I love both of them and then uh number two is manhunter i love manhunter i just think mm -hmm. there's like nothing like it it's horrifying and the music's incredible and it just looks looks insane like i his movies all look great but i think that one kind of is like 
feels almost jagged in some ways. Like it just feels like what you're looking at is like almost hurts to look at sometimes. And I think that it kind of, I said this on Letterboxd and I felt kind of silly after saying it, but I said, watch, watching this, like the visual language of this movie feels like you're having a psychotic break sometimes. And it feels like what Will Graham is going through. And I just like kind of really love it. And the number one is obviously Miami Vice. I don't, I, like that's probably tied with, with uh, this Kristen Stewart movie, Personal Chopper, is like my favorite movie ever. So Miami Vice is number one always. Now, yeah, I, I figured that. That was no surprise. But I also, I've <laughs> got to see Personal Shopper because uh, I've heard a lot of good things. And I just did Irma Vep with Rob. Oh, yeah. And that's the same director, that was... Olivia Asayas. Asayas? I still want to say yeah. his name. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he. I always forget how to say his last name, but Olivia Asayas or something like that. Yeah, he's. He's an interesting guy, and Irma Vest is incredible. I like your, your episode of that, too, uh, listening to that. And, um, yeah, uh, uh, Irma Vest is uh, really great. And, um, but yeah, Personal Shopper is a huge vibe movie. So it's very slow, very contemplative. Uh, leaves you on kind of like a lets you decide how, how you want it to end. But I just really love it. She's my favorite actor, so... I'll, like I just will watch anything with her. <laughs> no, I get it. I, I understand. Yeah, that uh, I really got to see that movie because it sounds super interesting. I know that's another movie that I think people, a lot of people would not get with because it does sound. I heard it's slow and like you contemplate it, but it's like to me it sounds pretty interesting. So um, yeah, it's definitely definitely a vibe movie. So it's like you you really feel it or you don't. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Also, thank you for that about the Irma Vep thing. That was all Rob. I give Rob all the credit because I would not have tackled that movie if Rob had not brought it to me. And it's super interesting. Like it's such yeah, a yeah. It's, it's such a strange movie, and Maggie Chung is amazing in it, and, and Rob's awesome. Like Rob, I I've only met him through Twitter, obviously, but I'm I'm uh, just as excited to do his show as I was your show because I just see. He seems like a lot of fun to talk to. Like you can pull a lot of conversation out of him. Oh yeah, no, he's he's great. He's very fun to talk to, and like is just such a fan of movies. Like I know it's so funny. He's known for like action and a little bit of horror, but like I just know from talking to him about that and like other stuff, he just like he just loves movies so much. I know how passionate he was about like making movies and all this stuff. So it was very cool talking about all that. So he's he's a very very nice guy. So um, yeah. Yeah, he's great. If you get a chance to talk to him, I recommend everyone do that. <laughs> so, um, okay, this was really tough because I, I ask people all the time, like if we do a certain director or somebody, an actor, I'm like, pick your top three or five. And I'm like, Jesus, why did I do this to myself? Because it's, <laughs> I had to leave off two, like I think I had to leave off two that it kills me to leave them off. But um, my number five was Black Hat, uh, which uh, I can't believe that movie. I, well, actually, I can't believe that movie bombed so bad because, again, it's kind of like a weird, like, not what you expect from an action movie with Chris Hemsworth, but um, yeah. <laughs> I, I got a black hat, love black hat. Number four is collateral. Um, number three is thief. Uh, number two is Miami vice. And number one is heat because I feel like it's like his masterpiece to me. It's like the, it, this is his whole career in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, it I, I feel so silly leaving heat off and I'm probably going to like kick myself forward forever, but I just have to go with what I felt. But I, I agree with you. Like, Miami Vice is my all-time favorite, but there, there's nothing better than Heat. I mean, just, <laughs> he's firing on all cylinders there. Like, I mean, I totally, totally get it. Yeah, the cast is like incredible, like from top to bottom. Like every little part is somebody good. I mean, it's it's like I watch that movie. I'm like, this is a stone cold masterpiece. It's like whenever I watch like Goodfellas, I'm like, Jesus Christ, this movie is like, you know, it's just it's it's, too it's good. It's so funny to me because. Because I've talked to my dad about this a little bit, and so like when he came out, I would have been very little. And he's told, and I've just read up on this too. But I've heard that like 
when that came out, it, a lot of people kind of viewed it like as like just a dumb action movie. And it was like, I think a lot of people put expectation on it because, oh, it's Pacino and De Niro, they're sharing the screen together. And I, and I think like its reputation has grown like more than what it was, which is interesting to me because watching it, you're just like, how could anyone have written this off? Like, this is incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I didn't, I didn't never really heard that, but I could kind of see it, but it's crazy. It's just like, it's so good. I watch it. I'm just like, good Lord, this is insane that he pulled this off with this cast. And like, um, and the, the two that killed me to leave off my top five were the insider, which is great. And manhunter, like manhunter really killed me. Cause I, I love manhunter. That's the one actually, I think kicked off my Michael Mann thing last year. Cause I watched that for the yeah. first time. And I was like, Holy shit, this movie's amazing. And I, I think I'm one of those people now that's like the weirdo who like, they're always compared to silence of the lambs. I'm like, Oh, I think I like manhunter more than silence of the lambs. <laughs> like, oh, sorry. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I think silence of the lambs is interesting because I think a lot of the visual language in that movie has kind of influenced like every true crime show you see now or every crime procedural show. You yeah. See. And yeah. I think it's undeniably like, I think silence of the lambs is one of the best, movies ever made i would think but just on a personal level level i definitely prefer manhunter and i didn't realize that until my rewatch this year i like yeah. watched it and was completely blown away by how much i loved it manhunter just gives like it's like the score the visuals like it's a vibe movie again it's like a different vibe than miami vice but it's like a movie where i'm just watching i'm like this movie looks incredible i love it i love the feel of it um it's yeah i just think it's really really incredible um so, yeah, he's made I mean, he really has rarely ever like totally missed. I know he completely he writes off the keep like that's not even like his movie. I feel like he's like he's yeah, like, don't want to own ever, that movie. Yeah. If you, if you ever track that down, I'd be interested to hear what you think about it. And, and I'll if you're if you're interested, I don't want to give the name on on air just because, you know, I don't, you know, oh, who yeah. knows who's <laughs> listening to this. And, but I'll, I'll be on you where I got a Blu-ray of it. But, um, but yeah, uh, it's it's um it's it's interesting i it's it's one of those weird things where like you, you, it, it feels like the kind of movie that a director would have made as their first movie like a weird schlocky horror movie and then they get to make their personal movie like feast and right it's weird that he did it the other way around like, yeah it does seem backwards it's really weird yeah. <laughs> um i will say one thing to wrap up i'm curious how do you feel about last of the mohicans that yeah. one is one another one that i i need to revisit because that's one i've seen once and i think it's i, I think it's incredible i think it, it when i saw it, it probably when i was 17 or 18 so like my tastes were still forming and i was like still like um unsure of you know like what i liked and everything and that one was like i remember feeling like it was really gorgeous daniel day lewis is incredible but but i that's one i need to see again because that's another one that like plays around a lot of these same themes of like you know people committed to something and trying to get out but but I think it does it through a different lens. And I just, that's one that I never think about as much as I should, because I know a lot of people love that. Yeah, that was the one, I hate to even say, I think it's the, it's a movie that I like the least of all his movies, but also it's the one that's most unlike everything else he's done. You know what I mean? Cause it's yeah. like, it's not set in modern times. It's even though it's still about like the best trackers, like it's always be someone who's the best at their job. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's the best, you know, the best, most professional trackers, but I couldn't, I couldn't quite get into it. It's probably one I need to watch again. Cause I've only seen it once and might've been one of those days when I just wasn't feeling, you know, like in the mood for it or whatever, but definitely a good movie, well-made everything. And, but I just, I don't think it was what I wanted from a Michael Mann movie. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I'm that kind makes, of, yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of in that, I'm, I'm in that same boat. Like when I was, when I saw Collateral, like as a kid, and then I, I had seen Heat and, um, and Thief and, and everything. And so, like, I was just like, 
watching that was like, oh, I don't know, like this is so different and everything, but I, I'm with you, right? And, and it's funny though, because even though it might be the one that you or I like the least, it's kind of crazy because like the one I like the least is still better than so many people's best movie, right. which is kind of bad. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, the la- his career, if he never makes another movie again, I hope he does make another movie, but if he doesn't, it's like some of the like highest highs, like it, it there's no like complete, uh, misses in here. The keeps like a weird outlier, but I feel like if you just take that out, it's it's all great. And even his worst movie, air quotes, is better than most people's best movie. <laughs> like, yeah, it's 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 a career to definitely be proud of. He seems like an interesting guy. I I I'm always I'm always hoping for another one. But yeah, I I'm I I'm glad Black Hat's been reappraised a little bit. So if he doesn't ever make an, another one, at least at least Black Hat's been seen to be you know as good as I think it is. Yeah, and I like your idea about like how Thief starts and how Black Hat starts and how that kind of would bookend his career nicely. That's very cool. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I don't I know how old he is. I'm sure he's up there because he's been working for 40 years. So, But I hope he yeah. gets somebody, <laughs> a streaming, some Netflix, give him some money, something. For God's sake, it's Michael Mann. Let him make something, you know? It's like... Yeah, I know. <laughs> Jesus, come on. <laughs> throw, throw money at this guy. Who cares how much it'll cost? Let him make his Ferrari movie. I like, I like Ford's first Ferrari well enough, but I'd love to see his version. Yeah, I still haven't seen that one, but I've heard good things, actually. And I feel like it, I'm in like... It's good. It's it's uh it's definitely a dad movie i think like it's one of those movies where i could definitely see you know like and, I, and i'm in you know in my 30s now if tnt was still something i watched it's definitely a movie i could see being on tnt that i'd fall asleep to on the couch i was about to say that was what i was gonna say i was i was like uh it seemed i've heard it's told dad movie but i'm somehow moving into the dad movie phase of my life i think and i don't have kids yet but uh once yeah. you get 30s i swear you just want to watch dad movies i'm like i get it now i'm watching clint eastwood stuff i'm like I get it. Like, um, also TNT's favorite movie, I'm pretty sure, is The Accountant with Ben Affleck because every fucking oh, time yeah. I turn on that channel, <laughs> The Accountant is on. And I'm like, God damn it, The Accountant again. <laughs> like, it's crazy. I'm like, I don't, uh, that movie is weird. But anyway, <laughs> so. I think the movie that flipped, the movie that flipped the dad switch for me was Den of Thieves. I saw that and I was like, oh, oh I'm man. all in on this. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was all in on Den of Thieves. I, I feel like I've heard it described so many ways. I think. I think my jokey letterbox review was like, if Spike TV was still a channel, this would be their favorite movie because oh, like, for sure. it <laughs> smells like uh, 7-Eleven uh, pizza and like energy drinks. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. but, it's like but I monster, fucking monster energy. Heat. It's so good. <laughs> I love it though. Like gave it four stars in letterbox. I fucking love it. Like I love that. Um, uh, Gerard Butler's like fucking eating the whole time. Right. As he is eating. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a he's great the mode the mode that he's like kind of the transition into in this part of his career is awesome <laughs> yeah i'm into it i uh maybe a den of thieves podcast down the line at some point <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> to do that one i yeah that movie is a, a real fun movie so um well anyway this was a ton of fun talking to you i'm so glad to talk about my advice with, with yeah you. definitely i'm great uh, yeah it's nice to finally get to talk to you and everything thank, thank you so much for having me on oh yeah no problem um well, I will just let you go ahead and plug where people can follow you and find your writing and all that kind of stuff if you want. Um, well, uh, we were talking about this uh, off off air, but I was uh, a very uh, complicated last name. It's Brandon Streisman, and it's uh, I picked the worst Twitter name for it because it's basically my name, but with the the, vowel, the vowels missing. So if you see my name on the podcast uh, title or in the notes or anything, 
if you want to follow me on Twitter, just search that that at but without the vowels and you'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go to Twitter if you're not on Twitter and find this episode. Uh, I always post something new episode on Friday and just click on it and you'll find Brandon. Um, so um, when, I, when I made when I made that Twitter, I never imagined I'd be talking about movies so much that it eventually attracts any kind of following. So I probably should have picked an easier name to find. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's all right. I mean, who thinks that far ahead, you know? So it's yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> what can you do? Um, they'll find you. They'll, they'll they can just search it or something. So, um, but yeah, very cool. Everyone should follow you as they can find you. I'll try to make it easier. <laughs> um, and uh, as usual, everybody can follow the podcast um, on Twitter at Film Feast Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at MattBlood87. Um, and you can follow me and the podcast on Instagram at Film Feast all one word. And uh, that's it for this episode. Thanks, everybody. Thank you again, Brandon. And uh, we'll talk to you next time.